Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of your favorite paranormal podcast called Paranormal Exposed. This is an evidence-based podcast that looks into paranormal occurrences that happen in the United States. I'm your host, Michelle, and while I am a skeptic by nature, I do want to be a believer. I'm both intrigued by the paranormal and open to the possibilities of what might be out there. Join me every Wednesday as I dive into a different paranormal topic and present to you what is real, what is not real, and what may just be in between. I'll present both the historical facts as well as the paranormal reports, and we will see where the two meet. Join me in exposing the paranormal. This week's episode takes us out to Bridgeport, Connecticut, and I will be covering Remington Arms. This story begins just after the Civil War ended in the United States. Many had fought in the war and were trained in using guns, and many owned these guns after the war as well. Guns were also used during this time to help families supplement food with wild game. Since many more people owned and used guns, the demand for bullets was soaring higher than companies were able to produce. In 1867, Bridgeport, Connecticut saw the opening of the Union Metallic Cartridge Company. It was welcomed as it provided many jobs to the local area and helped with demand issues for ammunition. Win-win for everyone, right? Though, over the decades, the demand for ammunition expanded exponentially yet again. This was because of the rising tensions and conflicts in Europe, which would eventually escalate into what we now know as World War I. The Union Metallic Company needed to be able to produce a lot of product, but they struggled with increasing their output no matter what they tried. So in 1912, the Union Metallic Company merged with the Remington Arms Company, with the two companies forming Remington UMC, making it so that they could manufacture much more ammunition than they could as separate businesses. World War I then began kicking into full swing, so the Remington Company needed to really ramp up what they were producing. Ammunition and Remington rifles were their two main things that they made. Now, to meet this enormous demand, the company really needed to expand. And in less than one year, the Remington Arms Factory consisted of over 38 buildings on over 73 acres of land. In other words, it was massive. It was so big that workers actually had bicycles on site so they could travel between buildings while at work because one of the buildings alone was over half a mile long. Remington quickly became one of the largest ammunition factories, not just in the United States, but in the entire world. They employed over 17,000 workers. And that didn't even include what they called the 300 farmer soldiers. And what farmer soldiers are is they would patrol the buildings and make sure things were running smoothly in the factory. 
So kind of security guard meets kind of manager. Remington Arms supplied ammunition during the entire duration of World War I, as well as during the Russian Civil War. The company was pumping out thousands of rounds of ammunition and approximately 10,000 rifles a day. But when there is a pressure to produce a product, many times a company will choose profit versus the happiness of their employees. It's also true that not only is their happiness overlooked, but also their safety. And the Remington Arms Factory was no exception to this rule. Because of the lack of safety protocols in place, accidents were very commonplace, sometimes resulting in the deaths of the workers. In addition to the lack of safety precautions, Workers faced long, grueling days with little to no breaks in their day. Add to this, they had to work in conditions where the temperatures soared due to the melting process of the metals. One instance of the issues with the safety precautions as well as with the long working hours happened on April 4th of 1905. The men were working really long, hard hours as usual when somehow a fire started in one of the buildings. It caused an explosion right off the bat, which ended up killing three men. Accidents involving injury happened pretty frequently and included things like fingers being cut off, chemical burns, and various other injuries to the body. Not all accidents caused injuries that could be seen right away, though. Many of the men working at Remington Arms were actually slowly being poisoned without their knowledge. This resulted in sickness or even death. And the reason for this poisoning is that there was lead dust particles floating in the air from the production of the bullets and breathing in these dust particles settled into the lungs and caused rusting and all sorts of issues in the respiratory system. The poor safety conditions also led to the death of two men in the factory when they met a terrible fate. The two men ended up falling into the giant vats of liquid metal that would eventually become bullets. And of course, they died instantly. After years of terrible working conditions, the men had had enough. The Remington Arms Factory was in the middle of expanding their business when in July of 1914, the men decided it was time to go on strike. Many of the men were scared of repercussions in losing their job, even if it meant that it was literally killing them. They felt that they had to stay there, secure their job, and provide for their family. So during the strike, many did remain at work, but approximately 100 men went on strike. They held signs, they protested out of the building, they shouted. It just wasn't good for the Remington company. 
The local police and the Remington armed security guards were called in to take care of these strikers, or slash rioters as many will call them, even though the people were not being violent at all. They were just fighting for their rights. But this didn't stop the guards and the police from exacting violence on the men who were striking. The guards and the police went on to attack the men who were on strike, resulting in many injuries and even one person dying. This person was an 18-year-old man named Frank Monty. But the worst day was yet to come for the factory workers, and that was on March 28th of 1942. A nail ended up falling off of a shelf into a box of cartridge primers. When this happened, a spark set off an explosion that rocked the packaging building of the complex. The heat and the fire caused the rimfire ammunition in the building to be set off, causing bullets to be sent flying everywhere. They went into the nearby factory buildings, flying through the alleyways between the buildings, and even entered homes and buildings in the surrounding neighborhoods. Because of the bullets flying and the explosions, the aftermath of this tragedy left 80 people injured and seven people died. Four of the people who died were women and three were men. The year 1945 brought the end to World War II. This meant that the world no longer required the mass quantities of guns and ammunition that it had once needed during the war effort. This led to the company having a really hard time making ends meet and meeting their profit margins. So what they did to stay afloat is they began selling off some of their buildings, but at the end, it wasn't enough to fix the growing deficits and the lack of demand for their products. So in 1970, the company moved a majority of its business to Arkansas, where they could run the business at a much, much cheaper cost. Though this didn't help either. Remington Arms had to eventually bite the bullet and close their factory in Connecticut in the year 1986. And yes, my bite the bullet pun was very much intended. General Electric actually leased the buildings of Remington Arms starting in 1920 and bought some of them in 1922. But keep in mind, the Remington Arms facilities were in two separate areas. The portion that GE bought on Boston Avenue are actually now known as the GE Complex, not what we think of today as the Remington Arms Complex. In August of 2010, the GE Complex buildings actually caught on fire and as of today have all been demolished. The Remington Arms Complex is located on Farnham Avenue, but is connected to the old GE Complex via tunnel. Many buildings at the Remington Arms Complex have also been demolished, though some of the structures remain to this day. 
And one of those main complexes is the iconic piece of architecture in the Bridgeport skyline known as the Shot Tower. What the Shot Tower is, is this is where they would make shot balls, which are basically small pellets used mostly in shotgun ammunition. How they made these shots in the Shot Tower is they'd drop hot liquid metal through a sieve. The balls would become solid as they drop down and form little small round pellets. When they reached the bottom, they fell into a vat of water and would cool down and retain their spherical shape. And this is a very tall building for all of this to happen with the liquid metal, with the hardening process. So it does add to the city skyline and the city plans to preserve the shot tower, though I'm not really sure what they have planned for it. It overlooks a cemetery and the main Remington Arms grounds. And to get a better picture of how the GE complex and the Remington complex kind of go together where the cemetery is, I will include aerial ground pictures so that you can get a better idea of all of that. And just to keep in mind, it is a little over a half mile walk between the Remington Arms and GE complexes. The large empty buildings that are left by the shot tower make up what is left of the actual Remington Arms complex and are still the perfect place for homeless people to shelter themselves. Though, they are also a haven for criminal activity as well as vandalism. The local police often patrol the grounds to keep things in order and prevent the property from becoming rampant with crime and vagrants. But even with the police patrolling the area, it is not recommended you come here for a visit no matter what time of the day. It is said that this is not the best part of town and is known for being a hotspot of gang activities, drugs, and other seedy dealings. There is barbed wire fencing around the property to prevent and deter people from breaking in to see the decaying buildings, but it's not much deterrent as seedy people and ghost hunters have broken through sections, making it pretty easy to walk in and out of. Many people claim that the buildings are not haunted. You are probably hearing vagrants and criminals in the building, but not everything that happens here can be explained by people in the building. Some things are harder to explain. Which brings us to the paranormal reports happening at the Remington Arms factory. The old factory is pretty creepy, to put it really mildly. It is a huge, sprawling, empty campus. And what I want you to imagine is giant, empty buildings with windows that are broken out, where the wind whistles in the broken panes, and the machines appear to be giant, hunkering monsters in the dark. Imagine walking alone here in the dark, hearing only the sound of your own footsteps echoing off the concrete pillars which hold up the building. 
Now imagine this scenario, but add in some paranormal occurrences. Over your footsteps, you hear strange noises. And when you stop to listen more closely, the noises stop. What are the noises and where are they coming from? It's impossible to tell. When you venture into the buildings, you may feel what many have felt. Cold spots that will send chills up your spine and goosebumps to break out all over your body. Add in the feeling of dread and fear that boil up into your mind and chill you to the very bone. You just can't explain why this feeling suddenly washes over you. And you might see shadows that just don't make sense. Or you may see shadow people who fade away or move out of the line of your sight. Let's get a little less spooky with what you might see. You may see glowing orbs flitting through the air, or you might be lucky enough to catch one on film. You might also see some misty shapes that never fully materialize into a full-blown apparition. Echoing in the vast buildings, you all of a sudden hear something you can't quite make out. It sounds like voices. So you look around, but you are still alone. As you strain harder to listen, you can make out voices but you can't make out what they're saying. It sounds like multiple people having conversations, but just far enough away that you can't figure out what they're talking about. At this point, you're probably pretty creeped out. You have a dreadful feeling, have seen paranormal occurrences, and are now hearing voices. You might think you're losing it, and are probably sweating just a little bit. The next occurrence, though, might set you over the edge and send you running for the exit. That is because the screams that echo around you sound terrifying. They vary in the feelings they portray, but are chilling no matter what. Sometimes these screams sound angry, other times anguished, and the worst scream is when they sound like they are in pure agony, screaming in pain. You might freeze in fright, run in panic, or stand still trying to see what comes next. There is a fourth option though. You might duck and run for cover when you hear the phantom gunfire, which sometimes accompanies these screams. And what this could be is that you might be caught in the middle of a residual haunting from the explosion at the munitions factory all those decades ago. Scary, right? Furthermore, some reports have seen figures standing in the windows, and sometimes these figures are holding guns. Though they're not the modern guns that you would see today, more like the guns from the early 1900s. 
Let me now read you a first-hand account from a man named Stephen Clout. He stated, quote, I used to work there as a security guard back in 1996 to 1997. I would work a third shift, Sunday through Friday, and I'm here to tell you that was one scary-looking place. As far as ghost stories about people hearing banging noises, I've had incidents like that during my time there. One night when I was doing a tour through one of the buildings, not sure which building, but I remember it was on the second floor. I had just finished checking out a room and was leaving when I heard this banging noise and sounds of people screaming for help. I turned around, went back in, only to find no one there. I shined the flashlight around because I think someone was playing tricks on me. And I find bloody handprints all up and down the fire door. I got the hell out of there and that was my last tour for the night. The next day, I found out that years ago, an explosion had killed a bunch of people that were working there. End quote. Sounds pretty compelling, right? Then I have another employee to report on named David Ricken. He stated, quote, I worked here from 1969 to 1970. Many of the buildings were on the south side of Barnum Street. I was rehired in 1979 and worked in customer service in the 93-1 building until being promoted to a sales field position in 1983. I spent many days and nights at the plant, but never saw a ghost or heard voices, end quote. This is kind of how the accounts go. Some people claim to see and hear many things, while some experience absolutely nothing. Are they making it up? Are some people experiencing phenomena because that's just what they think they will experience? Then again, maybe it is just that spirits are more drawn to certain people rather than others. Now let's briefly recap and fact check the tragedies here that may be causing the paranormal occurrences. First off, some people attribute the activity in the buildings to the spirits from St. Augustine's Cemetery, as it is right next door to the Remington Arms Complex, where the shot tower overlooks the cemetery. Though, I'm not sure why these people's spirits from the cemetery would want to traipse over to the old abandoned factory. I mean, if they can leave the cemetery, why not go somewhere more exciting? They could go home, see their families, go to a bar. I mean, basically go anywhere else except a creepy old factory. We do know that seven people died in an explosion in 1945, and this is confirmed by many newspaper accounts. But as far as Frank Maida being killed by the police in 1914 during a strike, I can't confirm this one. 
per the popular accounts and the New England Historical Society, this information about Frank Maida is correct. Though the Bridgeport History Center states that there was a strike in 1917 and there was no accounts of deaths during the strike. Then 2,500 people went on strike for 30 days fighting for equal pay for women doing the same work as men. Which, let's be honest, is pretty impressive for that period in time. I mean, think about it. Women couldn't even vote until 1920. They had a strike again the next year in 1918 to get higher pay, but again, no deaths. I could find no newspaper articles on a death, only of the strikes carried out by various groups. I could also find no record of Frank Maida in Ancestry or grave records from the year 1900 to the 1920s. The only accounts I read of Frank Maida were mostly just popular accounts repeating the same story, the same name word for word. So I'm assuming that this is some kind of legend that perpetuated out of the strikes that were commonly occurring in the area. Most reports that I read from articles all the way up to reports from the New England Historical Society also talk about another explosion that took place before Remington acquired the building, back when it was owned by the Union Metallic Cartridge Company. The New England Historical Society stated that on April 4th of 1905, there was an explosion that basically destroyed an entire building, and they stated during the explosion, three workers lost their lives. Though, other accounts state that the explosion took place in 1906, when 16 tons of gunpowder exploded. This caused damage as far as 20 miles away in Long Island, New York, but that no one was killed during this explosion. So who is correct? The popular accounts and the historical society do take the win on this story. Because on April 4th of 1905, three men did instantly die in an explosion per a New York Times article. A brick building that they were working in was blown to pieces just before the end of the men's shift. As far as how many others died from the fumes, accidents, and other horrible tragedies, I'm unsure, but I'm sure there were at least a few. Regardless of how many people died here, the spirits of the factory workers who passed away while working here may still be here to this day. Maybe they aren't aware that they are dead and continue to report to work in the afterlife, living out a regular day-to-day existence. Maybe some of the reports are from residual hauntings of events such as explosions or accidents. And maybe some can't figure out how to leave the abandoned factory after they passed away. The Remington Arms Factory is not open for tours, and if you do go, it is something that you should be very careful about. If you've been here, I would love to hear any stories, facts, see any pictures you'd like to share. 
and I'd also like to know if you enjoyed listening to this episode on the Remington Arms Factory. If you did, make sure you leave a rating and follow this podcast wherever you tune in, as it really does help the podcast move forward, and you can make sure you're alerted when the next episode airs. I will be posting pictures and links associated with this story, so make sure you follow on social media to get more of the full story and a better picture of what everything looked like. You can follow on Facebook at Paranormal Exposed, on Instagram at The Paranormal Truth, or you can always feel free to shoot me an email at paranormalexposedpodcast at gmail.com. As always, thank you so much for tuning in, and I will catch you all next Wednesday.